Well, there's a story of a man who found himself, he woke up and he found himself on a boat. But when he woke up, he didn't know who he was. He couldn't remember anything about himself. And the man who rescued him from the sea brought him in and found a little chip in his back and he found that there were two bullet holes in his back and so this man could recall nothing about who he was other than the fact that he had military garb on and he had two bullet holes in his back and the man pulled out the laser from his back and shined the laser and there was a security code from a bank for a security box at a bank and so he began the long process of figuring out who he was what was his identity and not long into that he goes to the bank and he opens a security box and he finds a handgun and he finds a bunch of different uh, aliases and he opens up his US passport and it says Jason Bourne and then he proceeds to go out and he figures out some other things about himself and his quest to discover his real identity and who he is. He figures out he knows a lot of different languages. He figures out that he is, has some advanced combat skills and he figures out that the CIA is after him. And we spend 14 years in this movie series so far. I think there's more to come. And five movies later, in the fifth movie, you find out that he's not Jason Bourne. He is Derek Webb. Sorry, the, the series has been around for a while. I didn't spoil too much, I hope. But here's a guy on a quest to figure out his real identity. And think of all the havoc and all the collateral damage that happened in his life and around his life and around the globe because he was trying to figure out who he was. C3, what is our identity? Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? If you know Christ, the Bible says that you have a new identity. The old is gone and the new has come. But the question is, are you living in that identity in which God has given you? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know Christ and you're trying to figure out your identity. Listen, we live into all kinds of different identities that we create for ourselves and we wreak havoc in our own lives and the lives of other people. This morning, I want us to rightly understand as we launch into the fall, I want us to rightly remember and understand what our identity is as the people of God. And so turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is a one-off sermon, but my hope in this is that we rightly understand the key identities that what make us believers in Christ, not what make us believers in Christ, but how we are to live. How does God want us as children of God to live in this world? How does he want us to live as a church? And so in this passage, I'm going to draw out, I'm going to do it a little differently than I would if I was just walking through First Peter, but we're going to draw out five identities, five key identities that you have as a believer in Christ and five identities that we need to own as a church. I'm going to put some shoe leather to it as we get through it. And so let me read it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, five key identities. Peter says this, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe, but, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to do. But you, listen to this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So five key identities that I want to draw out of this text. The first one is this. We are Christ's blood-bought family. We are Christ, as the church, we are Christ's blood-bought family. If you look at some of the language in this passage, the key idea is that Christ is the cornerstone. Back then, when they built buildings, they used different kinds of brick to build those buildings. Sometimes they used uh, stone from the quarry that they would go get, and it was new stone, and they would cut it to fit and shape around a building that had a cornerstone. And they would use those stones all the way around to fill out the house, fill out the building. But they also used old stones. They would take buildings that, were, that had been knocked down, and they would take those stones, used stones, and then they would take them, and they would chisel them, and they would change them, and they would add them to the house. This text to understand that ancient imagery that Jesus, what Peter's saying is that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the chief stone in which the living stones, you and me, those who have called the name of the Lord, those who are believers in Christ, those who have been made children of God, we are living stones around the chief cornerstone. So we are Christ. We are His blood-bought family. Look at the language of this passage describing who we are. We're a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. That's Old Testament language. Look at verse 9. You're a chosen race, that you're not this family that is just by blood or by race, but God pulls you out. Look around. We all look different. We all have different things that we bring to the table. We're a different kind of looking family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he keeps saying this phrase, a people. So here's what the church is. It's a family. It's a new community. And the way, the entrance into that community is by faith in Jesus Christ. When he makes you a child of God, you are part of the universal church, the living stones that are continuing to be built around Christ as the cornerstone. And also in the New Testament, you see the local manifest, manifestation of that in a local church. So you are part of Christ's body here. You are part of this family. This is why the Bible speaks in terms of brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, family language. The church is Christ's set-apart family 
We are his new community. There's a lot of texts that you can go to and find these different metaphors. You can find the household metaphor when you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I've referenced it there for you, that we are members of a household. When you're a member of a household, you are part of a family with Christ as the cornerstone. We see it all the way through the New Testament. We see that we are the body of Christ. You know that phrase we see in 1 Corinthians and a number of places? And the body has different parts. We are the body of, of Christ. We are interconnected. You can't function as a body without a hand or a foot. We're interconnected pieces of a family. A number of years ago, um, I met a guy named Mike. And Mike was living in the Heights, and he was at a sister, Acts 29 Church in the Heights, but he was getting married that weekend, and um, some friends of ours connected us, and he was moving to Spring Branch, and so he's looking for a church for he and his wife as they were moving to Spring Branch, because the Heights from Spring Branch is a long way, and this guy had come to faith later in life, or after, um, he come to faith like as in his 20s in the military, and um, I remember getting to know Mike. This guy loved the church family. He loved community groups. About two years into he and his bride being a part of our church, we put him up in front, and we asked him to share his testimony. I don't think I knew his full testimony and how he came to faith and more about his, his family life growing up. But it was a beautiful testimony because one of the things he shared was this. He said, look, my mom and dad, I love my mom and dad, but I have no spiritual heritage. There's no spiritual heritage. My mom and dad didn't know Christ, and so I can't look to them. And so really and truly, the church is my family. I don't know what background you have or if you have a spiritual heritage that your mom and dad or your grandmother or your grandfather have given to you, and maybe you were like Mike. Maybe you're like Mike and you didn't have that spiritual family in your family to, as you were growing up, but it was a beautiful testimony. And the most convict, convicting thing about the testimony was not that. The most convicting thing is, as a person who does come from a spiritual heritage, that does have family and parents who loved Christ and exposed me to the gospel and brought me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're not alone, kids. Um, I didn't treat even as a pastor of a church, I didn't treat my spiritual family like that. And it was convicting because the thought was, is the scripture calls us a family, that's the way we ought to live and act. It was an amazing testimony to remind me that this is my family, that this is our family. Do you see church as a family identity? Do you see church as an, or do you see church as an event on Sunday morning? Surely church is not less than the Sunday gathering, right? But do you see church as an event on Sunday? Do you see church as just a social club or a country club where you pay in and then you get something out and you have a seat in a certain place or a parking space in a certain place? Do you see it as a family or do you see it as a social club or a country club? or a support group. Surely the church is meant to support and care for one another, but it's much more than that. The church, biblically, is a family, and that's part of our identity. Are you connected to the family? 
This is the identity that God wants us to live out. And I'll tell you, at Christ Community Church, we obviously worship together and we gather together and we want to be in each other's lives. One of the ways in which we try to do this best, and I don't know how great we do this, and it's messy and it's hard, but that's what community groups are about for us. It's a way for the new community, for the family to gather together, to be together, to bear each other's burdens, to care for one another. So I'd encourage you to consider if you're not yet in a community group, or that's not something that you've done to press into that and consider that in the life of the church. Are you living interconnected as the body of Christ? Or are you functionally living as disembodied members? Do you think about that analogy in the, or metaphor in the scripture, right? The body of Christ. Are we living as disembodied members? They don't really function very well. Are we living as interconnected members of the body of Christ? So we are family. That's an identity marker for us. The second thing is, look at verse 9. The second thing is, we are not our own. We're a family. We're not our own. We are servants. That's your second thought today. Look at verse 9. In the midst of unpacking this family dynamic, this family identity, he says, we are a people for ourselves. (laughs) No. For his own possession. For his own possession. We're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. I know in my life, I I think I do. I live sometimes as though I'm my own, but I'm not. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are bought with a price. That we are Christ. That we are not our own. The Bible says to take up our cross. And not just take our cross... And, and live the way we want, but take up our cross and do what? Follow Him. It's a really interesting dynamic in Scripture, isn't it? That we are made free by Christ and the Gospel, so He frees us from the bondage of sin, and yet we are not free. We are free men and women because of the Gospel, but we are bondservants. We are free to serve Christ, and this is what Christ has done for us, right? By the price of his own blood. Mark 10, 45. You didn't, I didn't come to be served, but what? To serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Here's the picture. There's a, he, Christ is the ransom payment for the person, in this day, on the slave ship. You and me are in bondage to sin And Christ, His life and death on the cross, pays the ransom for us. There's no greater picture of a servant than Christ who was willing to give up His perfect life for yours and mine. That's the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that He gave His life. He served you. He gave His life for us. Do you know that message this morning? And maybe if you know that message, you say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm in charge of my own life functionally. And I just compartmentalize my own life in a way that says, I'll take the cross and all the benefits of the cross, but I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for mine. I'm going to get mine. And the Bible says, no, we take up our cross and we follow him. We are his servants. We are a family of servants. We are connected to him. You know, when kids are little, this is part of the discipline process when you have kids. It's reminding them that they're not the boss. (laughs) It's kind of functionally what discipline is. Reminding them that they are not their own. They don't make decisions. Then they get to become teenagers. And it's a beautiful thing when they become teenagers because they're seeking out independence, rightfully so in many ways. But you know the day that you come 
and you're like, hey, where's, where's the kid? Where's the teenager? And he's gone four hours down the street and he comes back and he's like, well, I just went to my buddy's house. You're not your own, buddy. <laughs> you have to check in with us. See, we are his servants, like in a family. We are his servants. See, family takes care of family. Family serves one another. We help build each other up. We care for one another. Family takes care of family. We serve each other. We serve those in need. We're in it to serve others. And listen, one of the corporate ways in which we can do that as a church is to care for one another when someone's sick or when someone loses a friend or a family member, when someone has a surgery, to care for their needs. We can also do that on a Sunday morning or in ministries that we have. On, this just doesn't happen on Sunday morning. And so there are four or five different serve teams that allow this to happen on Sunday morning. And I'll tell you some of the needs of service, since we're servants that we have as a church right now as we start kind of a weird fall, walking back into a new normal. Um, we need people to help set up before church and after church and serve. Serve Christ in that. We need people to sign up to help with kids' ministry again as we start into the fall. And so I would encourage you to consider the serve teams that we have and the ways in which you can minister to other people in the family. So the church... Christ is Christ's family of servants who serve. So that's what we do. We serve. But how do those servants grow? How do this family of servants grow? Look at verses 1 and 2, particularly verse 2. So we are family. We are servants. Here's your next thought. We are learners. We are learners who grow from feeding on God's Word. The Word we get for disciples is just that. We look back at the Gospels when Jesus is talking to his disciples. They were learners under his care, under his teaching. We are learners who grow from feeding on God's word. Look at it in verse 1, 2, and 3, really. Verse 2, he hones in. He says, like newborn infants, who's given an analogy, long for the pure milk of the word. He's not saying they're newborn infants. He's just saying this is how we are with God and his word and his son, we long for the pure milk of the Word. See, back in the previous chapter, which we didn't get to unpack the last few verses, it says the, the gospel message comes through you to you through the Word. And that's how you receive Christ, through the Word. And so instead of put off malice and deceit and hypocrisy and all those things and grow up, the way, one of the ways in which we grow is by learning and understanding and gaining wisdom about who God is and what He's done and He's given us His Word to do that. And so we feed on His Word and when you taste of the Word and the richness of the Word like pure honey, you want more and more and more to grow up in Him, to know Him, to treasure Him. So the implication is, is that the written Word of God and the person of the Word, which is Christ, John chapter 1. And this is what we know from Scripture. I think we have this passage here, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For through, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, this is a parallel passage, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles 
of the oracles of God. He's, he's speaking to this audience in Jerusalem. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I don't know about you, but we live in this world right now where there's plenty of good and evil, and it's not that clear in the world that we live in what's often true and what's often false and the elements of truth in a movement or political party or anywhere in our lives. And so we need to understand the Word of God to rightly interpret to rightly understand how it is that we live in this nutty culture that we live in right now. We need God's Word. We need Christ. The Bible even goes as far to say about Christ is that we grow up in Christ. Colossians chapter 2. And so we are learners who grow from feeding from the Word. Are you a learner? In what way are you seeking to personally grow in time in the Word? Are you longing for the pure milk of the Word? I love Jesus' Word on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall, shall be satisfied. You want to be satisfied, pursue Christ. Learn His Word. Know His Word. What does that look like in the life of our church? Let me make this practical for us corporately. What does that look like in the life of our church? It means that we open the Bible on Sunday morning and we walk through the Word and we teach through the Word so that we are learning and growing together. It means that if you pursue a path in men's ministry, that you're learning what it means to be an authentic man or authentic woman in women's ministry from others around you. One of the things that we're starting this fall is called, we're going to call it the C3 Institute. And the C3 Institute, the, the goal of the C3 Institute is this right here, to learn, to be disciples who are learning and growing. And so in October, we'll get you more details, but the goal will be for you to learn God's Word for you to learn Bible and theology and how to interpret the world around you. And so we've really mapped out the next year of that institute. We'll have six, weeks, six to eight week classes in the fall. We'll start another class in the spring and we'll have one in the summer. And we're working on basically a five-year plan of if you finish these five years, here's what it will look like and here's what you'll get out of the C3 Institute. So we want to be a church committed to being learners. We want to be a church committed to being servants and family. But here's the deal. All these identities so far that I've given you in this text are pretty internal, aren't they? We're, we're a family. Uh, we serve each other. We serve together. We learn together. It's very internal. But look at what Peter does here in verses 9 and 10. Check it out. In verses 9 and 10... He talks about this family dynamic, chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then it says the words, that you. So here's the why. You see that? Here's the reason. The reason is that you may do what? You may proclaim, you may herald the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the purpose is this. Here's your, here's your next point. We are sojourning missionaries who declare and display the gospel. We are sojourning missionaries where we are who declare and display the gospel. Mission, when you think missionary, you think of the person um, overseas or somewhere else, right, that is 
living in a way that is helping people know the gospel and reach the gospel and discipling people. And I think there's a right place for global missions and domestic missions. But the Bible here and many other places points to you and me and says we are missionaries. When you go to Matthew 28, it says go, right? When you look at the Greek, you see as you are going. And so you have the opportunity where you're at, whether you're in high school, whether you are working, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's a family member, to be a missionary who both declares and displays the gospel. That's the idea of coming out of darkness into light. And so the purpose, one of the main purposes of us growing and serving and being a family is that we might be light to a world who doesn't know, to a world who doesn't know the gospel and doesn't know Christ. And so we're missionaries. We're, we're strangers and exiles. The idea of stranger and exile or sojourner is you're a temporary resident. This is not your home. And the challenge is, is that we often feel very tethered very tethered to this earthly home. And sometimes it takes COVID-19 or whatever in your life to remind you that this is not your home. And so we are sojourners, that this is a temporary place. Kids, I just want to remind you, this is especially important for you as you grow up, and it's not, not, not important for adults. Can, double negative, can I do that? Um, but kids, when as you're growing up, it's, you're going to feel this desire and this need to fit in and to have acceptance with the people around you. And the older you get, whether you're, as you get into middle school or in high school, that becomes a really big deal, to be accepted, to fit in. But here's the thing. What this passage is reminding you of is that you're probably not going to fully fit in and feel comfortable and feel that tethered to this world. Because God has given you a different identity. You're a sojourner. This isn't your final home. This is not where your roots are deepest. And mom and dad and adults surely applies to us. Maybe it's not a felt need every day. But I want you to think about how tethered you are to this world. The Bible says that we are sojourners. We're sojourners. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I think we have that passage. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us that we're a new creation. We have a new identity. And then he says this in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And so we have this missionary role as ambassadors in a temporal place. An ambassador does what? He lives in a foreign land telling that kingdom about a different kingdom. So that's our role. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. This is Christ who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, our role as ambassadors, we, this is a temporal place for us and we are a part of a different kingdom in a different place. And our role here while we live on this earth as a church And as individuals, is to be ambassadors for Christ. To be missionaries in a world that's really not ours. In a world that we don't tether our place deeply here. So we're strangers. And what do we do? We proclaim. 
We herald like the announcement of a coming king. We tell people about the great light in which we've received out of darkness, about the mercy that we've received. And here's the challenge. We live in this culture right now that everybody likes to argue, right? We all like to argue. We don't like to listen. We cancel people when we don't like what they say. And so the danger in the church is this. The danger in the church is that we adapt the air from our culture in our evangelism, in the way in which we share the gospel. I want you to notice the way in which Peter talks to his church about how they share the gospel. And I can promise you the church then was under way more persecution than you and I are right now. I don't see canceling in here. I see, proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, this is testimony, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, the gospel message is, the gospel message is a big enough stumbling block for people. We see this in this text, that the cornerstone will be stumbled over. The gospel is enough of a stumbling block. And people will reject Christ because of the gospel. But if our methodology in sharing the gospel is not showing the beauty of who Christ is and how we've received mercy because of what He's done in our lives, we're not a whole lot different than the culture around us. We're just canceling people. So maybe a word about how we talk to people about the gospel. I love the way Peter explains it and outlines it here. And so we are missionaries. But how do missionaries think? They plan and they live on mission all the time. And that's how we have to live. I think sometimes when we come to evangelism or being a missionary, we start talking about mission. We think in terms of an event. And we think in terms of, I've just got to add that to my schedule somewhere. And I think the reality is, is that as we live life, God puts people in our lives. He puts people in our lives. He puts people in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our neighbors, at work. If your kid plays on a sports team or you have different interests, he puts all kinds of people around you. So rather than thinking as outreach or being on mission as something you do, think about it in terms of the people in which God has put all around you. So as you go, you're being a missionary in the life that you lead. And so... That's the way we want to think about it. We've used this phrase, I've used this phrase a number of times, Mission 444. I'm going to give you more information. I'm going to send this out to community group leaders. This idea that there are, in my mind, there are four networks that you have in your life. Um, four networks, four people, four things to do. When you think about being a missionary. The four networks in my mind as I think about life are um, my family, people in my family that might not know Christ. Uh, people, my neighbors that might not know Christ, and I'm going to throw out my work even though the people that I work with probably know Christ, right? Um, and think about just recreation or social. And those areas, those four areas of life, and think of a person in each of those areas, four different people, or from, you can have four neighbors, it doesn't matter. But do four things with those people. Pray for them. Serve them. Think about your neighbor right now. Pray for them. Figure out ways to serve them. Invite them. Invite them to have meal with, a meal with you. Invite them to your community group. Invite them to church. And then share with them. 
about the mercy of God, how God has brought you out of darkness into light, the excellencies of Him who's brought you out of those things. So mission 444, think about that. Think about that as a way to think about being a missionary right where you're at. So the, so the church, I'm putting this together, right? The church is Christ's family of servant leader, leaders who live on mission. But to what end? What's the goal of all of this? The last point is this. We are worshipers. We are worshipers who live to make much of Jesus. Really, worship fits into all the different identities that I've tried to describe. If you look at verse 5, this spiritual house that we are as a family, look at the end of verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's worship. Think Romans 12. That's worship, serving as worship. And if you look at the end of this passage, he's speaking about us being missionaries and sojourners. And then he says this at the very end of verse 12. He says that they, may, they, people who don't know Christ, may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. So we are worshipers who live to make much of Christ. Would you think about a priest for a minute? You, you see this priestly language in here? There's really two functions of a priest in the Old Testament. One of them is to serve. I mean, they exist to serve God and to serve the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But if you're an Old Testament priest, the best thing about your job in an Old Testament economy was that you had access to God. You had access to God that some other people did not have to that degree. You had access, you had availability to know Him and worship Him. And the beauty of the cross is this. When Jesus was dying on a cross, the veil of the covenant that separated man except for the high priest and God was torn. And now you have access to God. Just like the Old Testament priest. You live in a day and where we have direct access to God. That's why he calls it a priesthood. That's why you're a royal priesthood. Because you have access to God. And that access allows us to know Him and worship Him. This is what the Scriptures talk about, about worship and as kind of the chief end of man, Westminster Confession of Faith. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, excuse me, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart to glorify God and not man. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to glorify God. We are worshipers. Keller said it this way, Tim Keller said it this way, you need worship. You need glorious worship. You need a sense that God, of God's greatness and to be moved by it. Moved to tears, moved to laughter, moved to confusion, moved by who God is and what He has done for you. And this needs to be happening all the time. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. I want to say that again. You should listen to this. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. Because you're satisfied in God and not the little idols that are running around in your life. We are worshipers who live to make much of Jesus. That's our identity. That's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We're going to be worshiping Him. Do you see the solution to sin in your own life as living a life of worship? See, worship infuses all of these identities. Most tangible place 
that we can do that together corporately is Sunday morning where we come together and one of the ways in which we worship is by singing together. I would encourage you in that. I gave you the Jason Bourne opening. See, I live in a house where there's two ladies and three guys and so we watch Jason Bourne sometimes. But one of the hardest things we do in our family is figure out bathrooms and what we're going to eat and then movie night. Movie night. Movie night's hard, so we watch some, chick, we watch some Jason Bourne type movies, at least the older ones, and we watch some other chick flicks like Prince's Diaries, so I'm going to end with that. So a sermon where you begin with Jason Bourne, you end with Prince's Diaries. I think I lost my man card at the end here. Think about Prince's Diaries. It's a little older movie again. I'm not trying to hurt you with new movies and explaining them. Mia Thermopolis, shy, kind of geeky teenage girl, completely intentional that she is off the radar. Completely off the radar. She doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want to be seen. She's estranged from her dad. She really, really never knew her dad. And then she gets word that her dad has died and her grandmother shows up. So Anne Hathaway, Mia, Julia Andrews, grandmother, what she doesn't know about her life, her quiet little life, is that she's actually a princess. That she's actually the heir of a throne in Genovia. Yeah, I know all this information. And her grandmother comes and tries to convince her to become the princess of Genovia. So you have this completely changed in identity. And that is where the humor and the struggle is for Mia. Ultimately, that movie comes down to a choice. Am I going to stay in my old identity or am I going to embrace my new identity? And I think as Christians, we have to make those decisions. When you come to Christ, Christ gives you a completely new identity. He wants you to live a completely different way through the aid of His Holy Spirit. Praise God. So, are you living into the new identity that Christ has given to you. Here's the thought. Putting this passage together. Let me put this passage together in one sentence. Here's your takeaway. The church is Jesus' family. Do we have it? The church is Jesus' family. Of servant learners who live as missionaries to the glory of God. That's who you are. That's the new identity in which God has given you and called you. And I can promise you that if you live into that identity, you will be satisfied, that there will be joy, deep abiding joy in your life. Because we are sojourners, it doesn't mean that life is going to go perfectly. But this is the way in which God wants you and me to live. This, these are the identities that ought to be able to be seen in our church, that we are a family that we are servants, that we are learners, that we are missionaries, that we live to worship God. And I'm going to put a, the last slide on here just to help you see plainly, just with some skin on it, how we try to do this as a church. As a church, we want to be committed to worship. We want to be committed to worship, so we want you to come on Sunday morning and worship God. We want you to do that in your own life as a way of life, but we want you to come and worship God as Christ's family. And we also want you to connect. 
He's a little more in the imperative here. We want you to connect with the body. We want you to connect, connect in a community group. That's the chief way in which we do that here. And we want you to grow. You can grow. There are a lot of options for growth around here. The, the new C3 Institute, men's ministry, women's ministry. If you're a kid, student ministry, C3 Kids that's coming back. We want you to grow. And we want you to serve. We want you to serve in ministry. It kind of takes all hands on deck around here to serve in a ministry. We want you to serve one another and we want you to serve on a Sunday morning or host a community group or figure out ways to do that. And some of you might say, well, I'm kind of nervous about serving. <laughs> I've never done that before. I've never helped with this before. God will supply you what you need and we are here to help train you and equip you for you to plug into the life of the body through serving. Serving with your talents, serving with your resources, serving with your time. And so we're committed to being a church that serves and we're committed to going. We're committed to encouraging you and the relationships that you have, Mission 444 that I described earlier. We're committed to having serve days to impact the community around us. We don't want to be a church that if we closed our doors tomorrow, nobody would notice. We want to be a church that is impacting the community around us. And so we have Saturday serve days and a lot of other things going on that Jim Cohn right here can tell you about. And so, the point today is this. We want to live in the identity that Christ has given us. We are children of God who live in His identity. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for opportunity to remember maybe who we are as the church, as Your children, been called out of darkness and in delight, and Lord, I pray maybe for one who looks at these identities and says, I don't know Christ. And my life is kind of a wreck. And I've made a wreck of my life trying to figure out my own identity and my own ways to make sense of my life and who I am. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in that person's life, that they would see the beauty of who you are and what you've done for them, that they might live for you. So we love you and we thank you for time together to remember again who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.